Businesses needed to be adaptive and savvy to survive the pandemic, and today's guest literally wrote the book about it. Today, we explore how Northeast Delta Dental made the right moves to not only survive, but to help its customers, its dentists, and employees weather this challenging time. I'm Matt Mowry, editor of Business NH Magazine. And I'm Nathan Carroll, founder and president of Cardinal Consulting, and welcome to BizCast NH. Matt, sort of apropos that we're, we're talking with Tom Raffio today, um, but I wonder if you have sort of the same issues with the dentist that I do. <laughs> do you, are you like one that goes, you know, for every six months, get you cleaning, do you think, I you have a perfect mouth a or what? Regular. I regular. just got back from my dentist, Ooh, in fact. And lovely. those and pearly was, whites do look lovely. Thank yeah. you. And it was so sad for me because I've been with the same dentist for uh, years, ever since I moved to the Seacoast of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And he just retired on me. Oh. But the new dentist seemed very nice. Okay. So that was good. But, I, you know, it's, even though I only see my dentist twice a year, mm-hmm. um, you know, you build this relationship. It's very intimate. I mean, they're inside your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was just, and I could hear other patients too, like, they're like, oh, he's retired. <laughs> oh, no, they must really love him. That's so, cool. Yeah, I mean. Hey, you know, it's good to be a dentist that everybody loves. I've had a, I've had a few that like are, I, yeah, I, they, they come in and they're like, you know, look in the mouth and do their thing and they're out. And I'm just like, but, but wait, it's sort of like yours. Like, I want to have a relationship. (laughs) Like, I want to get to know you. Don't just put your hands in my mouth. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, in, in the demand for dentists is just crazy. There's not enough to go yeah, around. I know, and, I know. Um, you know, and it's just so important. Although, I mean, I'm probably the, the bane of some dentist's existence because, mm. not to brag or anything, but, you know, I'm, I mean, o- only one or two cavities in life, which was Excuse more than I wanted. Me. But, you know, but I also have all my wisdom teeth, which also like uh, amazed them. The new dentist came and he's like, you have all your teeth. And mm. I'm like, yeah. And they're not getting yanked out. I saw what my sister went through with her wisdom teeth out when she was a teen. I'm like, uh-uh, you can't put me through that. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't going to say anything, but that's, that's my thing. Like I can go to the dentist and I can survive this every, you know, every six months or whatever. But like when they tell me, oh, you should have these, you know, you should, you know, think about maybe having these taken out and they won't give you as much, you know, I, I, no, because my sister, same thing. I, you know, I'm like years ago, and it's probably much better, and it'll probably be fine, and I probably should just go. But it's like, no, no, because I'm gonna have to drink through a straw for however many days, and I'm gonna be like down and out. And at least that's what I think, anyway. Hopefully not, but that is totally the fear. Like, don't touch the wisdom teeth because, and um, you know what? It'll probably just take like a couple of days, and I'll be fine. But nope, fear, weird. I don't usually have fears like that, but I'm just like, nope, not doing it. And about maybe that specifically I understand, but I don't get the fear of the dentist in general. I well, feel yeah. like people, you know, my experience with my dentist is that, you know, they're looking out for you. They, they're they probably the most preventative side mm-hmm. of medicine. You know, they don't want you in your in their chair to drill and all that. They, yeah. They're looking, you know, <laughs> you know, even though they're nudging me about flossing, which I'm awful about. But I mean, at the end of the day, if I go twice a year and, you know, I'm taking care of my teeth in yeah. between, that cleaning's going to, you know, yeah. carry me through. I want my I, choppers um, well into my years, my old years. Yeah. Keep those and they're babies. close. Yeah. So. There you go. <laughs> your older years. Uh, little bird told me that you don't like to floss lost though so. no okay i'm bad about it i know I'm, i know i did it last night for the first time in like god knows how long and i thought of you 
I know it was nice. nice. See, usually I'm like, I I used to do it like the night before and then I figured out like, that's just useless. No, they can tell. They (laughs) can tell. They know. know. They're scraping away in there. They're they're great in between, but not on the outside. Uh, Well, that was more than anybody wanted to know about our mouths. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very mouthy conversation. So you know what? Let's get to the meat of today's episode and conversation, uh, which is definitely going to be better than the one that you and I just had. So... Our guest this week is Tom Raffio. Tom assumed the role of president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental, a role he has held since 1995. Tom is currently a member of the board of trustees of Dartmouth-Hitchcock, a member of Delta Dental Plans Association Board of Directors, chair of the New Hampshire Coalition for Business and Education, chair of the Arthritis Leadership Council of Northern New England, a member of the Business and Industry Association, a board member and former chair of the Board of Early Learning, New Hampshire, chair of the Franklin Pierce Pierce College of Business Advisory Board, and a member of the conference's Conference Board's Committee for Economic Development. He's an incorporator and chair of the Board of Excellence North Alliance, board member and chair of New Hampshire Business Committee for the Arts, chair of the Bow Schools Foundation, member of the New Hampshire Scholars Leadership Board, and member of the Fisher Cats Foundation. Tom is also an active big brother and big with big brother, big sisters of New Hampshire and has published a new book entitled Prepare for Crisis, Plan to Thrive, the inside story of how one company did it right. I read all of those accolades from your bio, Tom, on purpose. And I want to start um, not only finding out how you have the time to dedicate to all of those initiatives, but also the why. I think that's going to tell us a lot about who you are and who you've been over the years, but the why to be involved in all of these things in addition to do what you do professionally every day. It's all about servant leadership. Well, first of all, I really enjoyed the banter between Matt and you and Nathan <laughs> on, on uh, going to a dentist. Sorry about that. No, it was awesome. And I, and I think you hit on a couple things and I will start more specifically no, answering no, no, your you question. No, no, you take your time. Yeah. But, uh, the challenge now for dentists is the workforce of the dental assistants and dental hygienists. There's mm. plenty of work for dentists, but uh, hygienists uh, retired in record numbers during COVID. Also, many of them have children at home. And as you know, Matt, I think you're, you're on top of this topic. Oh, yeah. There is a uh, workforce challenge in daycare. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a member, as you mentioned, Nathan, of the Early Learning New Hampshire Board. So I'm on top of that. So dentists are plenty busy. The challenge really is uh, hygienists and dental assistants w- workforce. Um, the other thing you mentioned about going to the dentist twice a year, and that, that is a good benchmark, and I'm happy to hear that. But we have a, a fabulous program that's been around since 2016 called Health Rural Wellness. And actually, when you go in for a cleaning and if you're a Delta Dental subscriber, they, they ask you a few questions. And you may actually be entitled to a third or fourth cleaning a year, depending on your score. Wow. So um, the two cleanings a year um, was based on a Pepsodent commercial and print ads way back in the 50s, which <laughs> basically was... Um, go to the dentist twice a year and brush your teeth with Pepsodent. So two cleanings a year is a good benchmark. Interesting. But some of us, like me, I actually go four times a year, depending on your 
provides her score. So I was really happy to hear that conversation and dentists are retiring as well, but there's plenty of dentists coming into the, into our state. We have mm. a bunch of programs with the university of new England and Tufts to get the dentists to settle here. So I'm thinking if you're in the seacoast that the retiring dentist you alluded to might've been Dr. David Staples. He is. And uh, he's, wow. and I, and he's uh, the chairman of the board of Delta dental of New Hampshire, which is why I knew that. And he's staying, uh, thank God he's staying on the Delta Dental, Northeast Delta Dental Board, because he's not only, just so you know, Matt, not only is he a fabulous dentist, but he's also a fabulous non-executive chair uh, of Northeast Delta Dental. So small worlds. But that anyway, makes say, so happy. the dental community <laughs> in New Hampshire is small. It is. It is. Wow. So why did I get involved? So yes. servant leadership. Yeah. So servant leadership basically is if you give back to the community, um, the numbers will take care of themselves. So I'm a leadership New Hampshire graduate back in 1997. Nice. So as you referenced, mm -hmm. I came up in New Hampshire in 95 and I thought, oh my God, this is like a perfect fit for me. I came up from Massachusetts and the first thing I noticed was you can really make things happen in New Hampshire. I mean, Northeast Delta Dental is considered a large company, get out in the community. I just needed to get to know people. So Dr. Silvio Dufui, who everybody knows, introduced me to about 100 people I needed to know between Nashua and Concord, got that, went to Leadership New Hampshire. And when you graduated from Leadership New Hampshire, you're supposed to put on a piece of paper, what are you going to do uh, with what you've learned at Leadership New Hampshire. So mine was get involved with nonprofit boards. And of course, I, as you read, I took it to the extreme. <laughs> you did, you did. <laughs> but giving back um, to the community is what servant leadership is all about. And if you can stay the course and have the energy to do that, the numbers take care of themselves. And one of the reasons why we were um, successful during the pandemic is we kept those values all of us that serve on Northeast Delta Dentals and various nonprofit boards across the state, we stayed on, the, on those boards. We still gave our philanthropic donations and we gave back about $27 million to the community. And that eventually, two years later, resulted in this incredible loyalty. So we, we do it because it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. but it's also candidly a great uh, business strategy. Now, um, I will admit, based on the, I get tired listening to, to that, you know, the number of boards. <laughs> my wife goes, looking at your schedule, her name is Ellen. Ellen goes, uh, I'm, get, I'm tired just looking at your schedule. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't cease on the weekends because we sponsor so many uh, road races and so forth. I'm sure. also pr quite busy on weekends. But each, if you look, if you look at those boards, mm -hmm. okay, early learning, we just talked about it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more important than the zero to four years. So I want to put the power of a CEO behind that because everybody knows it in the field, but for some reason, we can't galvanize the community to invest in early childhood. I think it's changing mm. a little bit, Matt, thanks to you. I know you've publicized it a lot in your magazine, but we have to get more CEOs involved. So that's why I stay on that board. Nice. The Business and Education Coalition was a group we formed because when I was chair of the State Board of Education, another thing I did, um, <laughs> the educators would complain, well, we don't know what business leaders would want. And I would be with a bunch of CEOs and they would say, well, we don't know what educators Mm. Who, what what they're doing and the, the kids that are graduating from high school or college unqualified. So I got the two of them together and that's how that coalition nice. was formed. And I think the arts are so important. So 
um, chair of the New Hampshire Business Committee for the Arts mm-hmm. because without arts, you know, there is no civility. So there's purpose behind those boards. And I guess I urge the audience is maybe don't do as many as I do. Pick two <laughs> or three. But if you, t- if you pick the two or three or two that you're passionate about, you mm-hmm. can make a huge difference. That's true. And ultimately, Nathan, it's actually a good business strategy. It is. Because one of the things I've learned is people want to do business with Northeast Delta Dental not only because of our exemplary service and wide range of dentists to choose from, but because we're known authentically to, uh, to be good to the community. And people want to do business with people that are good to the community. That's true. It's true. Um, can you, I want to, we've got a, a million questions for you, but one thing that I want to um, maybe unpack is, so Delta Dental um, was founded in 1966, I think. And um, as I read, serves over about a third of the population, um, 39 member companies, is a mix though, and this is the, what was interesting to me, a mix of nonprofit and for-profit um, companies. So how does that work? And I think the, New Hampshire is nonprofit, is yes, that right? Yes, so we are, we are technically Technically, a 501c4 corporation. Okay. So we're not, you know, we're not taking in donations, obviously. Um, It means, candidly, that we have an obligation, but we do it authentically, to really cover the underserved population. So Mm. we uh, take that designation, the 501c4, very seriously. We don't pay corporate federal income taxes, but we pay New Hampshire premium taxes. Mm -hmm. We pay real estate taxes. So we do pay a lot of taxes. But being a 501c4 allows us to, from some years, we break even on an operational basis, and that mm-hmm. allows us to really um, take a look at different areas. So two, two come to mind, veterans. Um, if you're a veteran, nine out of 10 times when you go to the VA, you can't get served for your oral health, not because of the great people at the VA, but because of congressional rules. Oh, wow. If you're not uh, permanently disabled, been a POW or been discharged in the last year, you can't get your oral health needs met at the VA. Hmm. So we cover a bunch of veterans in New Hampshire, hundreds of thousands of dollars we pay out of our reserves uh, to make sure veterans are taken care of. Another area is there's a lot of, just like healthcare, there's oral health disparity when it, be, when it comes to uh, people of color. So we, we've made a great deal of effort in the, uh, in the oral health uh, disparity field. And another surprising area is we have uh, stopped during COVID, but we have, we have a program that we brought to the Boys and Girls Club where dentists and hygienists would show up at the clubs and do cleanings for the uh, kids at the Boys and Girls Clubs in Concord and Manchester and Nashua. And we did that because we learned that a lot of the new American immigrants who settled there, they, they would go to the Boys and Girls Club, but they would not go to a dentist or they didn't know, didn't know enough to go to the dentist. So we brought that dentistry to the Boys and Girls Club. So so the that designation allows us to um, handle uh the underserved population without worrying about what Wall Street's thinking about us. Because that, that's costly. It's an investment, but right. it but definitely, definitely takes away from your profit. Now, we do have a, we bought a company called Previsor, which is a software company, which is a for-profit company, because that's the, uh, the company that powers that earlier program that I mentioned, the Health Royal Wellness. So we gave the software to all of our participating dentists, so when you go in for your cleaning, your hygienist asks a bunch of questions and it's using the previsor software. So we needed to buy that for-profit company to power our basic oral health mission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, 
I I read you have a very very solid education background, um, Harvard and Babson. Um, so I would imagine, in with that solid education, that you really could have chosen any industry, any uh, to to lead in. Why with Northeast Delta Dental for for such a long amount of time, and why the dental insurance industry, as it were? How did you get there? Well, for two reasons. One. Um, even though you, you gentlemen, when you started the show, you totally understand the importance of going to the dentist. But I learned really early in my career that most people um, at that time in the late 70s, 80s, and into the 90s, and really up until probably a few years ago, looked at going to the dentist as a luxury, a nice to have, as opposed to what I always end each speech with. You can't have good overall health without good oral health. We've got to connect the head to the body, and that includes, you know, mental health as well, of course. So um, I, fe- I felt it was an area that I could really uh, do a lot, you know, for, you know, for society. And the other thing, as I already mentioned, when I came up here in 1995, I said, oh, my God, this New Hampshire community is, like, perfect for me. So no matter what I get involved with the not-for-profit boards, you know, they reference the arts and so forth, mm. that you can make such a difference. So that's basically why I do what I do. It's getting back to your first question, you know, on servant leadership. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you. And in between running one of the largest companies in New Hampshire, or nonprofit (laughs) in New Hampshire, uh, and this litany of impressive nonprofit work that you do, you have found time to be an author. And uh, before we get into the latest book, what number book is this? This is number three. Wow. All right. I'm a writer and I have not reached that number by all, so I'm impressed. Um, so, uh, the latest one is Prepare for Crisis, Plan to Thrive, the inside story of how one company did it right. Uh, obviously, hugely timely book. Most people are trying to try and get through the pandemic. You not only did that, but you wrote about what it took to do it. Um, what made you want to write this book right now? Well, I'm a student of history. Um, as uh, Nathan mentioned, I went to Harvard. So I was actually an English major at Harvard, and I read every conceivable piece of literature, including Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, which was about the London Plague you know, several hundred years ago. So he wrote a journal of the plague, um, pseudo-historical, but if you, if you read it, it's, it's, it's a book you can get for free online, by the way, Daniel Defoe, Jur- Journal of the Play Year. I said, wouldn't it be cool if I sort of set up a journal uh, for my, what my days were like during the pandemic? Because basically our world changed on March 16, 2020. On March uh, 8th, I went to the last Celtics game in person with 19,000 other people sharing popcorn, no masks, Mm. okay? Then the following week, the NBA uh, postponed one game and then suspended the whole season. And then eight days later, on March 16th, uh, the American Dental Association said, you can't go to the dentist unless it's an emergency. And that's also when CDC came out with all the guidelines. So in Mm. the space of like eight days, we went from normal to, oh my God, the world has changed. So I had started to uh, um, do a journal um, and we were so successful in first making sure of our employees were safe. So the first thing we did on the week of March 16th is get everybody home and safe and working from home, which is easier said than done because mm-hmm. we have a call center, so calls need to be distributed, et cetera. And obviously people can take make a call from home, but 
calls into a call center have to be distributed mm. to the next available agent. So we got everybody home, uh, the people processing claims, the people that are doing um, the actuarial work, the computer programmers. And the only people that stayed in, candidly, were me, a couple of the managers in the mailroom because we were still getting some degree of paper. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we did was got employees safe. And then the next thing we did, because dentists weren't able to work, so we gave dentists $7 million just to keep them operational until they were able to work again, which wasn't until May 11th. And my theory was... The industry, there's no, there's no industry if there are no dentists, and if dentists went out of business because they couldn't see patients. So we first take, we take, we took care of our dentists. Then we got the dentists up and running. We worked with the governor's task force. We were one of the first states to get back open, by the way, and that right. was May 11th. So right. we had a very cooperative governor's task force, and we worked with them and very, all the dental organizations, the Dental Society and the Hygiene Association, and we got them back and running on May 11th. But then I thought... Well, what good is that? Because employers were struggling. They were starting to consider dropping their dental insurance. So I said, you know what? That won't work because we know, we already talked about this, you don't go, people don't go to the dentist unless they have dental insurance. That's a generalization, mm-hmm. but that is generally true mm-hmm. that if you have insurance, you tend to go to the dentist. If you don't, you don't go. So I thought we can't have employers drop dental insurance. So then we did a premium holiday where employers did not have to pay for dental insurance. So that was about $19 million we gave to them. So they kept their dental insurance. So then their employees started to go to the dentist. But here's where, and it's all described in the book, mm-hmm. uh, here's where you have unintended consequences. So you think premium holidays are great, Nathan, right? Mm. That's wonderful. Employer, you know, Employers don't have to pay their dental premium. But brokers who are in our industry, they get paid on a percentage of premium. Uh So I said, oh my God, we have to take care of them. So we paid them $700,000 as if we had collected the premium. So we thought that through. And then other little things start happening. Uh, For example, um, when employers, you know, when they temporarily furloughed uh, their employees or had to lay them off, they go on something called COBRA, which I won't board the audience with, but essentially (laughs) when 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 you're terminated, fired, or retired, you you can continue your your benefits. Well, because we have another subsidiary called CS1, which is another uh, for-profit arm of uh, Northeast Delta Dental, Mm -hmm. we knew who was going on COBRA because they did the COBRA administration. So we went, we reached out to our COBRA people and gave them premium holidays. And I have a stack of thank yous because you're talking about maybe like $100, right? Mm. But for that person, that was the difference between retaining their coverage or not. And then while that was going on, we... Just before the egg hit the fan on COVID, we had donated $500,000 to many nonprofits. We called all them up and said, keep the money, but, but we know you might not be able to use it for what it was originally intended for, mm-hmm. that you may need it to survive COVID. Use it that way or any way you want. Wow. So the sum total of all that was $27 million. And the reason we could do that, and that's really the title of the book, Prepare for Crisis, we had actually planned for 10 years for a pandemic. So we had built up our reserves so we could really shift and pivot and give back $27 million and still have a successful uh, year for ourselves. 
That's amazing. And the book is is split up into three sections, and and you do talk. The first section is about being prepared, correct? And because you know it's it's hard to deal with the crisis if you haven't thought about the crisis before mm-hmm. you're in it. Then you talk about what you did during the crisis, and then even though we're still not quite out of the pandemic, kind of going forward, um, you know, most people businesses weren't prepared for a pandemic because. You know, even if you listen to scientists, it was inevitable um, eventually. For most, it's, it's this is far out concept. So, why did Northeast Delta Dental have that plan in place? And how did you make sure leading up to it that you were staying on top of it? That that was something that was updated, even though it was something probably, hopefully, you would never have to use? Two great questions, Matt. So, we um, follow the Baldridge Performance Excellence Framework, and you'd mentioned them on the Board of Excellence North Alliance. And one of the things that the Baldridge Performance Excellence Framework, and I describe it in the book, category one being, by the way, the servant leadership, which I've already described, category five being human resource management, et cetera. And it's all in the book. But part of that framework requires you to be thinking out 10, 15 years and, and have a, and we had a pandemic committee. The other thing is where we're located in Concord, we have two beautiful buildings. It's on a train line that carries uh, dangerous cargo. Mm. So we knew that the possibility existed that one day that could explode. So we were constantly updating our disaster recovery plan. Again, Um, I credit the Performance Excellence Framework for really establishing um, the need for that in our company. So I didn't, I'm not here to say I predicted COVID-19, but we were, we did have a pandemic committee long before COVID-19. And that allowed us to swing into action. As I described, we got employees home safely. We swung into all these other actions really quickly because we had planned for it, and that's why we, we did. And the other thing is a practical matter, where we were on that train line, really every day I would see a train go by our building, and it always reminded me we have to constantly be prepared. Now, here we are, hopefully switching from a pandemic to an endemic or whatever, but I close the book with, what if this is not over? And uh, I say that because the next crisis, it could be another biological crisis, but what I'm really thinking is it probably more or less is going to be a some sort of major cybersecurity crisis. And I'm not talking about the ones that we're all fighting off. We spend millions of dollars a year, probably like every company, and fending off the bad guys in cybersecurity. That exists already. I'm talking about a mega uh, cybersecurity issue. And so that may be the next crisis. So the book really will prepare you as well for that potential of the next crisis. Now, the funny thing is it took me... The last uh, two months, it took me forever to finish the book because first, President Biden came out with a, uh, you know, the vaccine mandate, um, and then there was OSHA, and then there was the the Sixth Circuit and the Fifth Circuit, um, and whether those rules would really hold. And so I kept having to rewrite the end of the book. And so finally, I said, well, what if it's not over? And I kind of was able to finally publish it uh, before the end of the year. And it's still, if you read the book, there's still questions at the end of the book that people should really ask themselves. It will definitely prepare you uh, for the next crisis, whether you're a company like us with over 200 employees and 500 million in revenue, or whether you have three employees, the book mm. is, is really relevant, as is the, the Baldrige Performance Excellence Framework. Nice, nice. We'll be right back with Tom Raphael. 
McLean Middleton is a full-service law firm with over 100 attorneys and 25 paralegals throughout its five offices in Manchester, Concord, and Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Woburn in Boston, Massachusetts. For over 100 years, they've been providing exceptional legal services to businesses, individuals, and nonprofit organizations across the region. Visit McLean.com for a complete list of practice areas and attorneys. We're back with Tom Raffio, president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental. Um, before our short break, you mentioned um, as part of the book and and uh, and your uh, passion for really Baldrige um, and that framework. Um, can you maybe just kind of dig into that a little bit more for us? Uh, give us that that sort of uh, uh, overview or elevator, as it were, for Baldrich. And and I think you sort of alluded to whether you're a large company or a small company. There's there's elements of this that you can you can utilize. And so tell us a little bit more about that, and maybe how you even came upon this or or started to utilize well, it. Well, first of all, um, it's a framework that we've we've really used since I arrived in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are we have applied for the national award and got a feedback report. We weren't a recipient, but we, but those people that are interested in it, you don't do it really to win an award. And just to show you how rigorous it is, not one New Hampshire company has ever won this national award. Um, Now we're planning, um, putting my my neck out there, but we're planning to apply, but we are just to kind of do a test to see where we are. But in the book, I describe it as a holistic Think of an approach to quality, which is you have leadership, which is category one. You have the human resources, which is category five. Um, results are important. All, after all, it's results-oriented business, so that's that's category seven. Then you have strategic planning, and then you have analytics, and all it's all connected, um, and it's done in a holistic way. So you you're forced to do a data-based approach. We call it, you know, management by fact instead mm-hmm. of management by gut, you know. In God we trust, everybody else brings data. So it needs to be a data-based approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, your, your leaders need to be servant leaders. That's, that's, that's category one. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a keen eye on the human side of the enterprise. And that's why, Matt, and you know I say this, your best company to work for process and contests that you do every year uh, for Business New Hampshire Magazine is so important because, as Peter Drucker once said, culture trumps strategy by far. Mm -hmm. So if -hmm. you have the right culture, um, you'll be successful. So that's what Baldridge does. It will help you formulate the right culture. It will help you with servant leadership. It will help you be more disciplined when it comes to uh, um, data analytics. Um, and if you follow that, you'll be successful. It is not, though, the flavor of the month. Um, if you pick up the book, I, have a, I describe it in a bicycle approach. Each category is, is a part of the bicycle. And it's nice. really, I can explain it in two, you know, two or three pages in the book, but you really should study it. But don't mm-hmm. think you'll, anybody that's into it um, has been into it for a long time. You just can't do it overnight. You have to really be committed to it. Mm-hmm. And again, the icing on the cake is winning, would be winning the National Ball Judge Award, but it's, it's really more the process. And here's a delightful little anecdote. So as we uh, are applying this year, it's a big process. You first have to uh, do an eligibility application, but you have to show the judges that you should be in the arena. So we've, we've had to show them our customer service results. For example, 
during the pandemic, we've answered um, all of our calls in under 30 seconds by wow. a human being. Have any, has any, have any of you tried to <laughs> call your utility bank, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> internet am, provider no. and get, a, if no. you ever get a human being. The right. automation hell right. you get right. thrust oh, into. Right. And, God, then they, and they say, and you ask for a human being, are you sure Amazing. I'm a virtual agent? I can help you. No, we want a human being. Well, that's how we were. So anyway, so we, but in, in putting together the eligibility application, we mm-hmm. had to have some benchmark data. So we called a Baldridge winner, happened to be a bank in the Midwest in Denver, credit union. And I said, well, I need some benchmark data. And, and they, they asked for our statistics, which I put in the book. They said, oh, my God, you, you guys are like twice as good as us already. And this is a Baldridge winner. I mean, so here's the Baldridge winner. And they weren't answering calls. They were taking like two or three minutes. And we're doing it in like 25 seconds. So, so the whole point is that's the other thing. Um, I'm into elevating uh, service in society because it's so frustrating if you want a human being these days, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, and I realize, you know, peep, some people want to go and just on the website and get information. And we have the best technology. You can do that at Delta Dental. Mm. But many people still, um, and it's not just the retirees, it's everybody want, wants to speak to a human yeah. being. You're looking at one of them. I'm yeah, that guy. <laughs> exactly. So the Baldridge <laughs> approach will help you with customer service which then will help you with results. So as I think you, Matt, I think you know, we have a service guarantee program, which has been nationally acclaimed and described in my first book uh, with Dave Cowens on leadership. And basically that was developed again because of the, uh, the Baldrige framework. And I want to go back to, to something you mentioned before, which was culture. And, and um, you know, it's something Northeast Delta Dental does, is, is a prime example of in the state. Uh, I think you've won the most times in our best companies to work for nice, a competition. Nice. And I know, you know, you go into this in the book as well, but can you talk about the um, the pandemic presented a, a huge challenge in terms of, you know, once you get your employees safe, there's the question of how do you continue your culture if a lot of company cultures are dependent on people being in place, in person, and and helping to grow those um, those bonds with the company and with each other. Um, what kind of challenges did Northeast Delta Dental face with its culture, which was so important to it? And how did you adjust to it to make sure that what you had established wasn't going to get lost? Great question. Of course, that story is still going to un- unfold. But when we did the uh, same employee climate survey during the height of the pandemic, um, our scores were actually higher, and it's all documented in the book. And the reason was we consciously continued to do outreach. So every day... Um, I did 400 straight emails every morning um, employees would hear from me. And it wasn't just business strategies. It was first early on in the pandemic. It was giving them hope that the, we'd get through this because we, because no one was going to the dentist for two months, we, we had to temporarily furlough people. So I had one database for furloughed employees and messaging with them and messaging with all, all of our employees. So the key was constant communication that I also did videos so they, they could see me. And then we would do, obviously, um, very regular Zoom all-employee meetings. So really, to me, the, the critical thing was communicate, communicate, communicate. And mm-hmm. part of servant leadership, getting back to Nathan's mm-hmm. initial question, is telling the authentic truth. Uh, human beings 
can take the truth. So when I said we were going to have to temporarily furlough employees, I didn't sugarcoat it. And I said, however, when we can get the dentist back working, which we did on May 11th, you'll come back. And that's what, and that's what happened. So I think the trust and the communication, trust is so important. And you can do that by being authentic and communicating. And we've continued this. Like I said, we, I've had 400, over 400 emails, and they're all, a lot of it's documented in the book. I did the same with dentists on a weekly basis to wow. make sure they were in the loop. And then, mm-hmm. of course, our customers and, and brokers as well. And then we, knowing, like you said, Matt, that the literal water cooler talks couldn't exist if you're working mm-hmm. virtually, we set up virtual water cooler talks, nice. literally. Nice. It was, re- it was really cool. And here's another interesting dynamic. So early on when, when everybody was working virtual, except for, as I, as I said, the mailroom, myself, and a, f- a few people from finance, um, Everybody wanted to come back. I can't wait to come back. I can't wait to come back. And then, of course, you had a couple winters, and now people have the drill down. Many people love working virtually now, and so it's evolved. So we're taking the approach, and if you want to come back uh, because of uh, you want to connect with human beings, you can if you want to continue to work, but we're, you can do that. Most people have decided to continue to work virtually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to, get, getting back to your point in terms of our culture, we want to make sure that there are you know, you know, regular staff meetings where you know, we see people. The other thing is, so we have 220 employees. We, I know them all. So when you see them on a Zoom, um, it's, it's literally like they're next to you because I know them all. Mm. So, but when I say it's an unfinished story, We've obviously hired a few people since the pandemic, let's say five, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody mm-hmm. stayed with us, but mm-hmm. we gro- we're growing. So those five people, I have literally only met in the parking lot. So the challenge for me is five years from now, if we continue in this sort of hybrid model with many working virtually, mm. and as opposed to the 220 people I know because I've grown up with them, now there may be 50 employees who I really don't know uh-huh. that well. So that yeah. cultural thing, that story is yet to be uh, written. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but obviously we're aware of it because more than ever, Drucker is right on target. Uh, culture trumps strategy. And, and unlike a lot of sectors, you know, we, d- we, we don't have openings. Uh, people want to work for us. Um, the occasional opening we have is in IT and we have no problem, you know, filling it. Mm. So and all, it all comes down to the, the culture. So we'll continue to work at it. Yep. But at this point, because most of, most of the employees have known me in person for two decades, um, we've, stay, you know, we've stayed c- connected. But it's something I'll have to watch over the next five years. That's amazing to me. It's, it's amazing to me. Well, and you're talking about you know, how you had to furlough employees and you were honest with them, but that you still kept in touch with them. Because that could very well be okay, I've got them furloughed. We're in the middle of a crisis. I'm going to just put them over here and then kind of, you know, move forward. I know that they're set at least for a while, right? But you kept in touch with them. That, that, that says a hell of a lot about you as a human being, my friend. So. Every, every day. And, and I didn't sugarcoat it. You know, yeah. I would say, you know, like I, we, you know, you'll, you'll probably be furloughed until we get, can get the dentist back mm. to work. And as we got closer to May 11th, um, like I said, that's a good sign. And then we brought them back a couple of a week because mm-hmm. obviously when, you know, dentists were gearing up, we didn't go right back to 
old norm on right. May 11th. It right. took a while, but eventually they all, you know, all but a couple came back, and the ones that didn't, the couple that didn't were retiring, um, and we obviously had a couple people that we used to do external events, um, and of course there were no external events, mm. but every, but for the most part, people came back, and communicating them was was great. The other thing, I, and I don't want to minimize this, and, and Matt knows her, but our VP of Human Resources, Connie Rojakowski, in addition to my conversations and my emails to the employees, she, she was having many hours of conversations you know, with employees as well, staying wow. connected and telling them how to use their unemployment benefits correctly, mm. et cetera. And then when they came back, how, to, how you come back. So Connie was spending probably, um, you know, 10 hours a day on the phone talking to employees. And I credit her um, in, in the book for that. And she, uh, the other reason why I credit Connie is because she extended her retirement. Like a lot of people, mm. she was planning to retire and then extended first through 2020 and then through 2021. <laughs> and it was to keep, it, it was to keep our employees together. Um, and so, the, and the last thing she did for me was hired her replacement, Ryan, um, who uh, uh, is from your sponsor. Um, um, and uh, he's doing great. So she was a tip. She was, she's a servant leader. She's out in the community, but a part of servant leadership too is also finding your replacement and leaving mm. the company better than you started. And certainly Connie did that. And as Matt also knows, I, I'm keeping her on retainer for little projects, <laughs> including Matt's little projects. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Which hey, we so appreciate. Before we wrap, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, your, your time at Northeast Delta Dental and, and, and some of your education and all that. But, um, I'm curious to know sort of who, who were you as a young person? How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? And, and maybe what led you uh, to obviously where you are? Sure. Um, so I grew up in uh, a little town, then little town in Massachusetts <laughs> called Weston, which reminds mm-hmm. me of the town that I currently live in, New Hampshire, Bow. Mm-hmm. Same type of high school. So, my, so the high school I went to is similar to the high school my kids went to um, in Bow High School. Um, and I... I'm a jock, so I played a lot of sports, <laughs> um, which from a, t- from a teamwork perspective, um, that's what I brought to, to the company. Uh, you don't have to play sports to know teamwork, but that's all, that was the importance of that. And that also allowed me um, during the pandemic to make sure that uh, the community stayed well. So we invested a lot in the community to make sure road racing continued with Millennium mm-hmm. Running. What well, we did for bringing back dentists, we did for road racing. No other state in the country was doing these activities except for New Hampshire. So I, I thought of the importance of, of, of wellness. So And then I just worked hard, and, um, and you mentioned I went to Harvard. I don't really talk about that too much, but... There are a lot of super smart people that went to Harvard, including Bill Gates. I roomed right near him freshman year. <laughs> no, not making that up. And of course, he's a multi-billionaire, and I'm into dental insurance. But but I learned, and we appreciate that. <laughs> thanks. And I learned that there are a lot, a lot of smart people, and the way. Um, and I, I talk about this in my first book with with Dave Cowan's called "There Are No Do Overs." But but the biggest trait was outworking the competition, mm. and whether you know whether you're People don't realize this, but whether you're LeBron James, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, in addition to all the talents they had, that they outworked everybody. And so that's true in life. And so the one thing, and, and it is my schedule, I agree, but, but I do spend, I, I, it's something you can control. You can't control your gray matter, I mean, but you can outwork, you can 
fulfill your commitments. And so I learned that at a young age that I wasn't going to compete on brains with people like Bill Gates, but I could really work hard. So then I brought nice. that with me into uh, into the business community. And then you couple that with my father was uh, constantly at the Lions Club meetings. He wasn't home at dinner to ask my mother, where's dad? Oh, he's at this and that. And I realized that he was out there. He didn't, they didn't call it servant leadership in those days, mm-hmm. but he was doing that. And and that, you know, obviously you need to find balance with your family. So I'm not saying being out every night, but he inculcated with me the, you know, the give back to, com- to the community. Nice. And I want to talk about the attitude of gratitude. You know, it, it's very evident in Northeast Delta Dental. When you look at your culture, there's, a, you have so many ways of thanking your employees and creating ways for them to thank each other. Um, but you yourself are the king of the handwritten thank you note. Um, how often do you spend time writing these notes? And can you talk about the power of thank you? Oh my God, you are you spot on, Matt. Uh, I do. I try to discipline myself and do one or two handwritten notes a night before I go home from work, and that includes we give birthday cards to every single one of our employees, and it's not just me signing the birthday card. Mm. I try to write a little note if I know a little bit about the employee, and most I do little anecdote about them. And I also try to, you know, thank our customers that way. And people that I've seen do great work in the community, uh, as well as the various awards that are given out in the community, I always uh, try to do notes because I know the impact as a young man when, uh, when I started my career at John Hancock Insurance in Boston and I would get a note from a senior executive and like I would cherish that and <laughs> save it. It had a huge impact. And then my mentor, when I came up here and, New Hampshire 95, again, I mentioned him earlier, Dr. Silvio Dupuy. And as you know, Matt, he's also a master of the handwritten note. Yes. Although his handwriting is a lot messier than mine. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I can relate. So so he would uh, give me notes. So I I just think it's powerful. And and yes, I know know the world's gone to email and text, but I think the handwritten note is very, very motivating. And I can't tell you the number of times someone someone will mention that, you know, that I know they're written. and I don't do that so I get recognized for mm-hmm. writing notes. I just mm-hmm. know how motivating it was for me. Um, and I do authentically want to congratulate people that win awards and do something great in the community because the more people that do that, the better the life for everybody. Wow. Well, thank you, Tom. No, thank wow. you. Thank you. <laughs> if that's not a way to wrap a podcast episode, I don't know what is. We are so thankful, uh, not only for your servant leadership, Tom, and everything you've done for Northeast Delta Dental and communities in New Hampshire, but uh, of course, for joining us today too, we're thankful. So Tom Raffio is president and CEO of Northeast Delta Dental. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Can I make one little plug? And that oh, is sure. the book and all the money goes to the underserved populations. So uh, any money that we make, we pour it back into the community. So if you wow. do, if you do buy the book, Prepare for Crisis, Plan to Thrive, you can get you can get it at Gibson's. Um, you can nice. also get it at the Bookery in Manchester. And if you want the prime truck to drive up your driveway, you can get it on Amazon. <laughs> However, yeah. I would prefer the local buying. But I mentioned that not to sell books today. But all of this money that we would make is going to be poured back uh, to help the underserved populations that I referenced earlier. That's a big deal, and I'm so glad you mentioned it. Thank you. We'll make sure that information is widely known. Thank you again so much, Tom Raffio. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Matt. And now the buzz with Matt Mowry. 
and a sign of the times that, yes, indeed, it is a job seeker's market. A recent survey by Robert Half found that ghosting is on the rise. That's right. 39% of senior managers are finding it's more common for job candidates to cut off communication now than it was two years ago, especially in the technology sector and for administrative and customer support positions. All of a sudden, that great candidate you thought you were interviewing just goes and disappears on you. And so in another survey, they asked the professionals why they were going dark. The top reasons that professionals gave about why they were ghosting was the interview process was poor, they received another job offer, the job was not what they expected, or there was a mandatory return to office policy implemented. So make sure that before you bring in that next group of candidates, you want to sharpen that interview process make your job offers in a timely manner and make sure that the, your, your job description is on point. And you may want to consider that hybrid model. Otherwise, the only response you may get is new phone, who dis? And that's what we're buzzing about this week. Welcome back to the Cardinal Corner. I'm Nathan Carroll. I don't want to put you to sleep, but let's talk business insurance. Wake up. It's important stuff. Seriously. All right. The fine folks at the Hartford Insurance Group outlined eight types of business insurance to consider. It's a comprehensive list. We're going to run through a few of those important ones, right? These are all types of insurance that your business should consider. However, big reminder, don't make these decisions alone. Contact an insurance agent in your network to make sure you have what the business needs and to make the right choices. Number one, general liability insurance, really easy. General liability insurance protects your business from claims, right? Bodily injury, property damage, personal injury, things like that. Number two, commercial property insurance. If you are renting, if you own a commercial property, it protects that property, right? Business income insurance, this is a good one. If you can't run your business because of covered property damages, business income insurance can help replace lost income. Awesome right? Professional liability insurance. We here at Cardinal have that. It's often called E&O or errors and omissions insurance. It's professional liability. It helps cover lawsuits claiming that you made a mistake in the service that you provide. So it's mostly for service providers. Also, this is a really interesting one um, that's even more prevalent now, I would say, than, than it has been, um, data breach insurance. Data breach insurance helps your business respond to a data breach if personally identifiable information gets lost or stolen. Um, some insurers may call it cyber insurance. Either way, it is the same thing. Data breach insurance can help you pay those costs to notify impacted individuals, to offer identity theft monitoring services, create a public relations campaign, things like that. The comprehensive list from Hartford is going to be on the Cardinal blog on our website. Check it out. But of course, of course, of course, of course, go back, talk with your insurance agent, that person that you trust in your network to make the right choices for business insurance for your business. Thanks for joining me in the Cardinal Corner. Not a physical location that requires insurance. Thank you. Find more at our website, Cardinal Consulting NH, or on social at Cardinal Consulting NH. 
thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed the stories and information you heard in today's podcast, find more by subscribing to Business NH Magazine or visiting businessnhmagazine.com. I'm Matt Mowry. And I'm Nathan Carroll. BizCast NH is a joint production of Business NH Magazine and Cardinal Consulting. Listen to us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Mm-hmm.